you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. I've been thinking a good bit recently about how we tell stories, uh, how uh, we shape the uh, viewpoint that the narrator has, how we uh, pin uh, protagonist and antagonist against each other, how uh, our choice of vocabulary uh, evokes different responses. I've been thinking about how this happens in literature all the time. Uh, My absolute favorite book of all time is a book called Ender's Game. Uh, If you haven't read it yet, it's been out for like 35 years, so I might spoil a little bit of it for you. But this is the story of Ender Wiggin, who lives in this uh, kind of future uh, existence where uh, you're limited in the number of kids you can have, and there's this cosmic battle between humans and buggers, and he ends up being the hope of the world. Uh, He is the smartest, most uh, kind of resilient kid who they pin all their hopes on. And uh, the story goes on from there. They have the battle, and some stuff happens that you really should read the end of the book. It's an incredible story. Uh, And it goes on for about eight more books in the Enders uh, kind of grouping. But the author then wrote another book called Ender's Shadow. Ender's Shadow is the story of Bean, who ends up being another little kid who is equally brilliant, maybe more brilliant, but is uh, kind of struggles with how he should live within this existence. And he actually ends up in Ender's army. And, and we now get to, to view Ender from Bean's perspective. And it is vastly different how Ender perceives himself and how Bean perceives him. We do this with family stories, right? I've been thinking a lot about uh, my grandmother as we talked to Josiah about his grandmother. And I've thought about how our family stories get told in two ways. Uh, amongst the grandkids, a lot of our story is uh, she was a hard lady. Uh, she was not very patient. Uh, she didn't tolerate tomfoolery. Um, if you went to the restaurant our uncle owned, now this, this restaurant our uncle owned, hear me, and you left any food, it was immediately, well, the kids in Ethiopia would want that food. Shame on you. She wasn't very nice, she wasn't very affectionate. Um, but she was, she was always there. And that is good, bad, or indifferent, the narrative of most of her grandchildren. Um, but the other narrative is the one that my mom tells, which is of a lady who uh, divorced her husband in 1944 when no one divorced and said, if you, will, if you will get away from us and stay away, you don't need to give us a penny, just go. A woman who then... Uh, was not prepared to be a teacher and was not prepared to be a nurse, which is really your only two choices at that point, and who went to Belk and became the bookkeeper for 45 years. A woman who uh, injured her back when my mom was very little and wore a back brace the rest of her life and experienced chronic pain the rest of her life. A woman whose life was way harder than it ever should have been and who experienced this real unfair reality. And those are both true stories, aren't they? She was absolutely the things we grandkids experienced, and and she absolutely was these things that my mother would tell us about. 
My job on the hog farm was the same way. I can tell you how on the hog farm, uh, I learned a lot about doing things right the first time. I learned a lot about being careful and make sure you understand what you're doing. I learned a lot about independence. I learned a lot about managing my emotions. But the other way I could tell the story is I learned those things because I had to redo a whole project that took me like three days because I didn't understand it and I just did it without asking for help. I was so angry and so mad. I learned about asking questions about what you need to do because I accidentally broke a major like watering system for the whole fields because I didn't know how to unthread something. I learned about asking questions because I actually backed a tractor into a hog lagoon one time. Um, both true stories, right? And both uh, factually accurate and uh, emotionally true. Uh, depending on how we tell the story, it means different things or at least conveys a different uh, sense to us, right? Even if they're both true. N.T. Wright says that scripture is literature, it is history, and it is theology. And at every point you have to see maybe what the author is trying to tell us. There's points where history will be the dominant focus. Uh, the Gospels, we tend to think, uh, really have a lot of historical, like we're trying to prove the historicity of Jesus. Uh, we have things like Job, which seem to be very theologically oriented, Literature. That's the other one I was talking about, right? Literature. Uh, and then we have parts of the Torah that, that really are shaped in, in, in order to tell a story. Our Old Testament text today comes from the book. We can keep going. I'm fine with lights going out. If my microphone goes down, I'll step three rows down and I'll keep talking, so don't leave. <laughs> Live stream, we might lose you, but I'm going to keep preaching this sermon. Um, I saw y'all start to bolt. You're ready. We're fine. This building, you can sneeze on it and the lights go out, so don't you worry. Um, the, the Torah is shaped at different places through its whole tradition uh, to, to kind of do different things. Uh, today, Darren read us an Old Testament lesson from the book of Deuteronomy. This is the story of Israel told once more. Deuteronomos means second law. It's the retelling of the law that we first saw in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. In those, in those tellings of the law, we saw Israel through its experience uh, in Egypt and leaving Egypt and in the wilderness. In the Deuteronomy text, we have Moses sitting with the next generation, kind of recounting what had happened and saying, so here's what you need to do as you enter into this promised land. And it's beautiful. Here's how we're going to offer up our gifts and graces before the Lord your God as you enter into the land filled with milk and honey. But we have three giant books right before that who tell the exact same story a very different way. Do we want to just turn the lights off and just... Hey, uh, Michael, will you hit just all off, and that way it's not like blinking? Y'all can still see me, right? Uh, you don't have to see me. You just have to hear me and listen to what I'm saying, okay? Okay, okay. Nobody has ever told me I need to be quieter in my life, so, or that I am quieter. Uh, they have always accused me of being too loud. My dad says it's like payback that Josiah is loud all the time. So I try to experience moments of calm. Okay, but so uh, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers tell the exact same story as Deuteronomy, but from a different perspective. What has just been this beautiful picture of wandering and trusting uh, is now in those books a really dark time. 
They're enslaved and they struggle to leave. They get out and they go into the wilderness and they believe we should have just stayed in Egypt. At least back there, we, we became a big nation. We had food, we had shelter, we had water. In the wilderness, they are thirsty and they demand water. We should have just stayed there and God gives them water. They are hungry and, and starving and they demand uh, food and God gives them manna. That gives them daily bread. After a while, as expected, they're like, well, just daily bread really is not cutting it. We'd also like some meat. And so God rains down quail on them. And as if that wasn't enough, we get to this point where uh, they are on the, the cusp of going where God had promised them. And they send out these spies, 12 of them, and they come back and 10 spies say, we should have just stayed in Egypt. Those people are huge. They're going to kill us real bad and real fast if we go over there. Joshua and Caleb say, no, our God is good. Look what he's done for us in the wilderness. Our God who delivered us from Egypt can deliver us into here. We can win this thing. And they are scared. And so they walk away. Both are true stories. Both are uh, the, the same events, but being recounted in very different ways. Uh, the, the kind of editors who bring us about Deuteronomy have this real desire for us to see that God is trustworthy and true. And so they're looking backwards and saying, look at the ways God was always present. We can look at the Old Testament stories and we can see uh, things not look good, but we know the ending. And so we can trust it. We go to the gospel text today and, and we see another story that can be told different ways. We have Jesus who goes on his own uh, wandering of 40. His is 40 days instead of 40 years. Uh, but Jesus, who has just emptied himself of his divine prerogative, takes on human flesh and experiences being human uh, in his own way. Fully human, fully God. That's a whole other theology lesson. We'll have to get on a whiteboard to explain the homeosusis and all that stuff that took 400 years to solve. But fully human in the wilderness starving and thirsty. 40 days of being in the wilderness and having someone say, are you really who you think you are? Often Jesus doesn't seem to know the full picture of what it means to be this God-man. Often he says, only the Father really gets all of this. I, I don't know this. That's part of him emptying himself, is he's not this magic genie who really can make anything happen, even though he can make everything happen, right? That is as confusing as it could be, right, Marilyn? He could, it's like the old question in philosophy, can God make a stone that's too big for God to move? Think about that one. Jesus is out experiencing all this stuff for the first time. Wondering, relying on the, the truthfulness of the scriptures as he knows them having been filled by the Spirit and believing that God who delivered Israel from Egypt will sustain him. And we can look back and see that the texts that follow it validate this. We get to look and see the Gospels and Acts. We get to see Jesus' ministry to the people of Israel. We get to see his ministry to the people outside of Israel. We get to see Jesus' uh, crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, and ultimately Pentecost we get to look back and see that these things that happen in the wilderness are validated by his life and ministry. And then we have the story of the church. A group of people who also 
are wandering in the midst of uh, hard things. At every point in the church's history, there have been hard things that have asked the church to figure out how to trust God. We often hear about the good old days in the church, right? Back then when it was uh, like this, or back then when this happened, and we look back, and it's hard. Maybe we should have stayed in Egypt. Maybe if we hadn't done that thing, it wouldn't be hard anymore. Friends, it's gotten harder to be the church in the last two years. You know this, right? It has gotten uh, rapidly harder to be the church. Uh, What we felt was going to take decades has taken two years. That largely most of America has said, church is not important. The love of God is not a real thing. Uh, We can take care of ourselves. It has been hard to, to adapt and to overcome and we don't have the end of the story completely. We, we have the picture that, that Jesus and Paul paint. We have this picture of a church that trusts in the Spirit. We, we have the witness and the tradition of the church being sustained by the presence of God, by the Spirit and by grace uh, for 2,000 years. And we have a picture of what will ultimately validate all of the church's ministry, and that is new creation. When heaven comes to earth and we no longer suffer, when there is no more pain, and we no longer look around and go, why is it this way? But we haven't experienced that into the story yet. We aren't in the part of the Bible where we are. And so we're invited to trust that uh, these, uh, these narratives of God's revelation are true for us. That the witness of the church is true for us. And that uh, even though back there seems better, God's good is out there ahead of us. It might mean emptier pews. It might mean leaner budgets. It might mean us doing some creative types of ministry. It might mean that we have to like uh, reorganize and restructure our very understanding of the church. It might mean that we need a lot more communion and a lot more prayer and a lot more fasting. But I have never been so excited about being part of the church. I remember two years ago in our Bible study on Tuesdays, we used to have like 26 people just come in a room, no mask. We're all eating and drinking and doing Bible study on Tuesdays. And it's a grand time, and I said, I'm telling y'all, a day is coming when people who don't really, uh, don't really believe um, kind of the trappings of church um, are, are worth it anymore, who aren't guilted by their family. Because Lord knows, I got a lot of family members who went to church because they were guilted into going, right? They're going to step away, and we're going to look around, and things are going to feel smaller, but we're going to know that the people who showed up because, we, because they believe that God is doing something, they might not understand it fully. Lord knows, I still don't get it fully, how God is making us perfect, and yet at the same time, things are so messy out there. And it happened a lot faster than any of us expected. And I'm excited to be in ministry with you. As hard as it is, and as much as at times we want to look back, I'm excited about looking forward with each one of you. You know, I've got a list of you in my prayer app and I sit through and picture you and, and the mess we've been through in the last two years and, uh, and how you've experienced it and how for some of you it has been um, uh, this great building up and for others it's been really, really hard. And we've all experienced church and pandemic in the world so differently and yet we're going to come together in the spirit of Christ and do some pretty incredible things. 
I have no idea what they are yet. And that's what we have to figure out together. It is going to look vastly different, but it's going to be incredible because we can look back and see that God does new things to the people who trust in him. Amen? Amen. All right.